0: Hello again and welcome back to the Slow Flowers Podcast with Deborah Princing, episode 469. This is the weekly podcast about American flowers and the people who grow and design with them. It's all about making a conscious choice, and I invite you to join the conversation and the creative community as we discuss the vital topics of saving our domestic flower farms and supporting a floral industry that relies on a safe, seasonal, and local supply of flowers and foliage. This podcast is brought to you by slowflowers.com, the free nationwide online directory to florists, shops, and studios who design with American-grown flowers, and to the farms that grow those blooms. It's the conscious choice for buying and sending flowers. And thank you to Florist Review Magazine. I'm delighted to serve as contributing editor for Slow Flowers Journal, found in the pages of Florist Review. Read our stories at slowflowersjournal.com. Our first sponsored thanks goes to Longfield Gardens, which provides home gardeners with high quality flower bulbs and perennials. Their online store offers plants for every region and every season, from tulips and daffodils to dahlias, caladiums, and amaryllis. Check out the full catalog at Longfield Gardens. That's longfield-gardens.com. Several months ago, floral designer Kat Clark reached out to reconnect. We had originally met in March of 2019 at the Philadelphia Flower and Garden Show, where I was there to speak and also to cover the World Floral Expo. We shared a meal with a few Slow Flowers members and other locally focused farmers and designers. When we reconnected, Kat wanted me to know how she was coping with Pennsylvania's then stay-at-home order, which imposed constraints on her floral work. Instead of feeling limited, though, Kat began to film video tutorials, which she says allowed her to, quote, succinctly and effectively share her creative process. Well I watched those sweet videos and was hooked on Kat's highly personal style combining floral design with custom cut paper shapes that result in contemporary abstract works of art. She calls them floral and paper sculptures. As Kat told me, her goal was to draw attention to seasonal flowers, ones that are available to anyone and to help people see those flowers in new ways by playing with perceptions, She says I would love for more people to consider and notice a daffodil in a new way through my work, but I also think it would be applicable as a project that people could do themselves with something as easily accessible as a colored piece of paper and a couple stems of flowers from their yard. In addition to her own studio art practice, Kat is a wedding and event designer for a Philadelphia-based shop called Vault and Vine. We discuss how she balances the two sides of her floral career. And how the commercial design work blends with a fine art practice. As it turns out, Kat's gold medal award for floral design called Seeing Flowers was something I noticed at the 2019 Philadelphia Flower Show. It really wowed me. I spent several days at the show and every time I walked past her display, I stopped in my tracks, got out my camera and photographed the piece. There are definitely elements, albeit more detailed, of her paper cutout technique that show up in this installation. I'm excited to share those photos with you as we discuss Kat's creative process further. You can check out her floral photos and videos in our show notes for episode 469 at DebraPrinsing.com. Let's jump right in and get started. Welcome back to the Slow Flowers podcast with Deborah Prinzing and I am so thrilled today to introduce Cat Clark. Cat is a floral artist and floral designer from Philadelphia, and she has a studio called From Blossoms. Hi, Cat.
1: Hi, Deborah. Thanks,
0: Thanks for so jo- much. Yeah, thank you yeah. for joining me. It's. We're not doing it together in person, but we're as close as possible on Zoom, I guess.
1: Yeah, totally. It works.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I see you have flowers behind you, so that's fun. At least I oh, yeah. feel like you're close. I do. Um, yeah. So um, I'm really excited to share your story with our listeners about how you um, have kind of launched a whole new style of art, floral art during COVID, maybe give us a snapshot of what is From Blossoms and, and how, what does that mean? What are all the pieces of your studio?
1: Yeah, so From Blossoms kind of started out actually primarily as like a flower subscription service. Um, and so I did, I ran that and I actually worked with local flower farmers in the area where I would go and cut the flowers myself. Um, and then create bouquets or arrangements and have pickup sites or delivery. Mm. Um, so I did that for about five years. Um, and then this was actually the first year that I didn't do it. And I sort of transitioned a little bit out of a business to, a, to s- just kind of like an art studio. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I've just been spending... So I have like a day job, which is like separate as an event floral designer. And then, you know, I, I have a lot of just freedom to create in my studio, mm. which is from Blossoms.
0: Yeah. So when you said you were working as a wedding and event designer and um, do you want to mention the name of that company or?
1: Oh, yeah. So uh, it's Vault and Vine um, and it's in East Falls in Philadelphia. So
0: kind of a full service type of yeah. business. It's
1: Well, now we just do we do sort of scaled down events like a la carte events but mm-hmm. yeah it's a flower shop mm-hmm.
0: and so it sounds like you always kind of had this side studio to you know I don't know explore your other types of design that maybe you weren't doing in in the you know I don't know want to say corporate but in the kind of different different in the styles. business yeah. yeah in the business <laughs> I'm not saying that very well
1: um, yeah definitely I feel like I have those two kind of identities of my full freedom, creative studio identity. And then the identity where I'm trying to like make money and have a paycheck.
0: Exactly. I can feel you on that one. All those years I wrote about how to get the black spot off your tomato plants for garden publications when, um, (laughs) it was just for a paycheck. Luckily I get to write about flowers now. Um, so your, um, it sounds like you kind of had the COVID imposed a halt on the subscription business. Like you, you, that wasn't really safe or possible, was it?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think primarily it really shifted my event schedule Mm -hmm. situation. Mm -hmm. So, you know, once it was, there were spring events coming up um, quickly in April and May. And so it was like at the end of March doing like a quick shuffle of sort of just, pushing everything forward um, towards the end of 2020 or into next year. Yeah. It's like hit everybody pretty
0: similar. Um, And so were you like, did you find yourself with way more time on your hands because yes. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) So then what do you do without going crazy?
1: Yeah. In some ways it was really, it was really nice because I feel like the evolution of starting to make these videos uh, was you know, COVID feels like it was kind of part of it because it's it's a little bit time-consuming and it was just a thing that I started to do when I was suddenly, like, unemployed, basically.
0: I'm so fascinated. I'm glad you brought up the videos. So, you originally, we had met at Philadelphia Flower and Garden Show, like, in 2019, and then out of the blue, you reached out to me and told me about these videos, and I, I found myself, Kat, to be perfectly honest, like sucked in i i watched one and then i wanted to watch the next one and they're not that long so they're kind of this they're like these little moments of interaction like the viewer feels like they're part of your process and what just describe them and like how what do you do from start to finish to do this video and how did you set it all up in your i mean we'll show them on our show notes so people can follow along
1: yeah well i think initially i just wanted to sort of share create like a visual the visual process and share it um of just me making a floral arrangement usually like pretty pared down and minimal and then incorporating these cut paper shapes that I like to make and so so I like to refer to it as a flower and paper sculpture mm-hmm. and yeah, yeah because so I just wanted that, to that, share
0: that three-dimensional quality of by adding these paper pieces, right?
1: Yeah, totally. It's funny because on the videos you I am able to communicate so much and play with things visually, but there's also always gonna be the limit of, you know, ultimately it is a sculpture and it's something that is best experienced in person. But mm, mm-hmm.
0: That's a, that's a good point. Okay. So where are you filming? And like, what is your, is it just on a table and are you just using an iPhone?
1: It's funny because when everything happened initially, I sort of took a break from the studio that I had been working out of and was just at home in my apartment making these videos. And then eventually I've, I moved into a new studio and I started to film uh, in this new studio. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, it's just, I would just make like an arrangement on a table or a stool and then go through the whole process of me. A big part of making the videos that I learned, or it's sort of a skill that I feel like I've gained through the videos is just like editing Mm -hmm. um, and sort of trying to really pare down, keep it, you know, sort of as simple as possible. Mm -hmm. And then I learned that I could also narrate over the process, which also made it really easy for me to communicate my thoughts about the process and not have to think about it when I was actually filming the Oh, interesting.
0: Videos. Okay. So, cause I watched a couple where I felt like you would, uh, you were kind of almost having a conversation with yourself like, Oh, maybe I should move it over here and I like it better yeah. this way, but you're saying you will go back and you're editing, you're putting that voiceover in
1: yeah oh interesting it's, it just it sort of like evolved in this way mm-hmm. where the first video that i made i was talking to the camera and i was explaining the process and it took a long time to sort of simultaneously be doing it and also saying the words and then when i went through and edited it um i realized that it something about it felt a little bit off And then I learned that I could create like a narration over top of the videos. Mm -hmm. And that sort of, I think is a big part of how they, how the videos are Mm -hmm. like your experience of them is the the sound of my voice, like (laughs) narrating over top of. Yeah. I love
0: that. I love that. Do you have a goal for how long you want them to be? Like once you, because maybe it takes you a long time and then you, you bring it, you tighten it up. Right.
1: Yeah, definitely. I think that I started out, at maybe three minutes and 30 seconds. And now I sort of aim for two minutes to two minutes and 30 seconds. (laughs) Mm
0: -hmm. And are you mainly posting these on Instagram or where else are, do they live?
1: Yeah, I put them on Instagram. I also have a YouTube page that is nothing really that no one follows or pays attention to, but I mainly put them on there so I can send the YouTube link to like my friends and family who maybe don't have Instagram right right um so I'm also on there
0: well the reason I asked about that is just I do think we're all learning like this whole new toolbox filled with technical skills because of, we have been forced to work at home so right. you've you've obviously probably shot video in the past but you've, you've learned how to kind of produce and edit. A, a full video. You've learned what length you like it. You've learned how to do the voiceover, and I'm just wondering, in terms of delivery, um, do these have to go up on IGTV, or what's the, what are the constraints yeah. that, that Instagram gives you?
1: Yeah, basically, they have to go
0: on IGTV.
1: It's the only spot where they okay. fit. Okay.
0: Because it has is, is that because of, it ha- has to be under a minute? Otherwise, you have to put it on IGTV.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: But how cool that now on your Instagram, IGTV is, you can le- let everything live there. It doesn't disappear.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. so it ma- just part of your profile on there now.
0: So how many have you done?
1: I think that I'm at either like 21 or 22. That's
0: crazy. That's so crazy. Yeah. Um, and now, uh, okay, so now there's sort of a new element and i and i don't i haven't watched very many of them so describe how you how you've evolved even as the 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 designer on camera like your what are your pieces besides the paper and the flowers uh, as you put it together
1: yeah so i mean it is sort of like a basic the basic like floral design almost in the style of ikebana Mm -hmm. like pretty minimalist uh floral arrangement and then yeah so then from there it's cutting I really like cutting out different kinds of shapes with different colored pieces of paper and so I you know at this one local art store that I like to go to now they have like it's you know just all these different colored pieces of paper that um I love to go and sort of pick out Pick out pieces. Usually, I'm sort of thinking of, you know, what am I going to cut from the yard or what's blooming? And then I try to imagine, like, what color pieces of paper I might want when I'm there to use to incorporate. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, so it's been mainly the flowers and the paper, but also lately I have been incorporating this, like, little creature puppet. Um, That my friend Sarah made. Um, She makes these like really incredible puppets and that has also like given me a really fun new voice to have even on top of the narration that I normally add.
0: Okay, so, so are yeah. you, you're almost becoming like a stop motion filmmaker now, right?
1: <laughs> yeah, there's like a lot of different elements now.
0: What about those little clay three dimensional uh, clay shapes that are you oh, know, yeah. at a different level than a flat two dimensional piece of paper?
1: Yeah, that. So I recently bought some clay because I basically I wanted to see the shapes that are often like on my mind. Um, <laughs> or cut out on paper all the time. I wanted to bring them into like a more three-dimensional like life. Mm-hmm. And so I just, I bought some clay and for a couple of weeks I was just playing with
0: mm-hmm.
1: making shapes with the clay. But I haven't actually incorporated those into any of the Oh, videos. okay. Those that are on, sort
0: of, on still still images that you've put yeah. in your feed. Yeah. I, mm-hmm. I see.
1: Well,
0: yeah. I mean, listening to you, I just think, why can't everybody find their own little project to explore and maybe push their design aesthetic because it's so easy to be in a rut as as a designer and um there's simply no reason you did this other than to kind of keep yourself sane right i mean you're not you're not trying to monetize this per
1: se right um it's definitely just feels for now at least that it's it's just sort of part of my art expression Mm -hmm. um Yeah, and it was actually really funny uh, talking about like getting in in a rut. The whole reason why I even started making the paper shapes with with the flowers is because I got this uh, request for an order on Instagram, like probably like a year and a half ago. And this woman wanted me to make uh, an arrangement uh, for a family member of hers that was in the ICU. And she said... And so, along with that order, uh, real flowers like live flowers aren't allowed in the ICU. Oh, wow! And so she her like description to me was, it can be sculptural and weird, and it can be silk flowers or paper if mm. you want. So it's like she used those words, something about like the string of all of those words together sort of brought about this vision that I had suddenly of just making paper shapes and incorporating it into the arrangement. And that was sort of the very beginning of that process. And I remember when I, after I made it and like stood back and looked at it, I felt sort of this, like I felt something expand in me or something Mm -hmm. because it felt like this path that I could walk down and it could grow and Mm -hmm. be different things.
0: Yeah. I feel like, it's almost a physical like you described a physical response like you've been yeah. you didn't even know you were seeking something and then it hit you like a lightning bolt and then it became uh a new whole new i mean just look what what's opened up for you whole new uh, possibilities it took covid to kind of force you to <laughs> probably spend the time yeah <laughs> okay. Um so what is your background? Do you have a fine art background or are you tell me about what led you to your path? What's your path to flowers?
1: Yeah, I so I think in maybe 2011 I'd sort of been working lots of different jobs just like retail related um in Philadelphia and I just remember I I got a community garden plot Mm. and I had never really grown flowers before. I previously worked for a season growing vegetables, but I didn't have any experience growing flowers. And I got this garden plot and I bought seeds for like a mixed thing of zinnias Mm -hmm. and I think maybe like a red salvia. Um, And so I planted them in that community garden plot. And I just, I had such a wonderful experience having never done something like that before. Just going through the process of growing them and then cutting them. And especially with zinnias, it's like once you start cutting them, they just keep coming. And so the experience of just like arranging, like designing for the first time on my own and also just being able to You know, anytime I go to like a friend's house, I could just bring flowers with me. I really liked being able to do that. Um, So I feel like I, that's what I think of when I think of the year before I started flower farming. I'm not sure what else influenced me, but Mm -hmm. I do just know that at some point I was like, I don't want to work my current job anymore. I want to learn how to grow, cut flowers. Um, And so at the time there was, it's funny, like, so many small cut flower grower, cut flower farms have popped up in Philadelphia in the past, like, five, six years. Um, and so when I initially decided, like, oh, I want to, like, full time be, like, a cut flower <laughs> farmer in Philly, there were really only th- that I knew of, like, two options.
0: Back back in, like, 2011, 2012. Yeah. Then, yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: And so I like reached out to both of them, and there was a, only one of them could give me a full time position, and so that's what I did. Wow. And uh, and then I farmed there for three years, and then in the process of working there, I got connected to lots of floral designers in Philadelphia who bought from us, and so even the first year that I was farming, I also started to. Like freelance work on weddings and get exposed to that mm. aspect of it, mm. which I really grew to love. Yeah,
0: and it, it's just kind of—it's um, almost like you evolved into the profession at the same time that there was this groundswell of interest of more people wanting to grow, and maybe yeah. also more designers wanting to source locally and you know yeah. support agri- floral agriculture.
1: Definitely. I mean, in Philly, it, feel, it just feels like it's swelled so much in the past like six years. It's like really incredible.
0: Yeah. And I feel like you in a way you would think, oh, th- that kind of growth would happen in a more rural area. Um, but you need that critical mass of of po- population, of economy, of, you know, kind of clients to support that growth. And so, you, yeah a city makes sense. As long as people have access to land and maybe Philadelphia is the kind of city where there are hidden pockets of half acre or quarter acre parcels that people could literally grow on.
1: Yeah, that's definitely the case in Philadelphia.
0: So at some point did you have to make a decision like am I going to keep growing or am I going to go pursue design and art or like what What led you to the next chapter after you worked three years on a flower farm?
1: Yeah, after that, I is when I sort of started from blossoms and started uh, the the flower subscription service. Okay. Around that time, when I was still farming at that place, and then the year after that, I decided, well, I wanna, I actually do wanna spend more of my time doing floral design like event floral design and so then for a couple years I just freelanced for lots of different uh, flower shops and floral Mm -hmm. designers Mm -hmm. in and around Philadelphia Mm -hmm. and yeah I gained a lot of design experience from that and also got to sort of meet lots of different people in the industry Um, and then yeah, I don't. I think after that, I jumped on with False Flowers, which eventually became Bolton Vine, who I still work for.
0: And you know what? I I I had heard of that former business, False Flowers. Now okay. I understand that they've rebranded. Yeah. Um, so okay, it's like all the pieces of the puzzle are coming together now.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, because she's been around a long time. Mm-hmm. Like with False Flowers, but
0: mm-hmm. now she's Bolton Vine. Mm-hmm. Um, so. In Philadelphia, because obviously I was just thinking about it, when you started doing the videos, it was like probably March or April. It was still kind yeah. of winter, right? I mean, what what is the seasonality issue for you? And, and, and just either as a designer or in your own art?
1: Yeah, I mean, I feel that there's, that I can always find something to cut and play with year round. I know that it's very different in terms of like my art, my studio art. I think that it's maybe more challenging if you're trying to like sell a product that's flowers year round in Philadelphia. um otherwise, you'd have to you know, you have to buy sort of wholesale things or right. something like that, right. like in the winter. but i think I think, you know, even through the winter that there's so many interesting textural things that are really fun for me to cut and play with and incorporate into my work too. So I'm kind of, I'm excited for even this upcoming fall and then winter to continue in the direction that I've been doing and incorporate, you know, the well-rounded sort of like years worth of what's available to cut.
0: Well, it's interesting too, because is your palette, your botanical palette maybe becomes a little quieter or subdued or maybe monochromatic you still have this element of the paper that yeah. can like you have these palettes in your head that you can still express uh they're just not with petals <laughs> you know they're
1: yeah definitely they're, and i definitely yeah. i think that i like take my part of it is part of the satisfaction of incorporating the paper for me is that it's you know, when I cut a few flowers, even just from the yard or, you know, if I'm able to source some beautiful flowers, like locally, um, I, it makes me feel a certain way, you know, it depends on what it is, but it always makes me feel something. And so the paper expressing and creating something with the paper sort of like allows me to say more about how, the flowers that i'm working with make me feel or how i see them or how i want to see them mm-hmm. and yeah so it adds that additional element to ultimately bring more dimension to the flowers yeah
0: so when you talked about the palette and going crazy at the art store and picking paper and all do you start with the palette of the paper you want to use, or do you start with what you've just picked or is, does it just depend um, that it can be either?
1: Yeah, it just depends. I think the longer that I've done, worked with the paper, I'm starting to build up sort of a thick collection. I have this like really ridiculous big art bag that is just full <laughs> of, you know, a collection of like new paper that I've compiled that I'm still using, but then it's also just like bursting at the seams with old shapes which is kind of a funny thing that now I have <laughs> like left I, like
0: leftover scraps or actually old shapes you've previously used
1: yeah like shapes that I previously used that are perfectly good paper and I've also had like an experience a creative experience with them and I can't bring myself to like get rid of them <laughs> and, and now I just carry them around with me <laughs> in this big bag. It.
0: I'm waiting to see what you do with those um, I can see where, I mean, like, okay, everything is, in my mind, is like, okay, how are you going to get this to more people? Like, people watch the video, but do they then want a product? Do they want to order a piece uh, that you, you know, like you did for the person in the in the ICU unit, like a piece right. that they can buy? Or is it just a moment in time?
1: It's funny, because I feel a tension about it, even in trying to promote this you know, I have this workshop coming up and it's actually the first, it's an online workshop. So it's a little bit less, you know, engaging as than if it were in person. Sure. But um, but I, even in the process of trying to promote the workshop, it has felt, because it's the first time I've ever really intentionally tried to sell something that's related to my flower and paper sculptures. There's something about it that feels like, a little bit funny for me Mm. um just because I feel so close to it in a way right and and I don't necessarily want to like I personally experience something from experience a certain level of like freedom and creative expression when I make it and so of course I want to make that accessible to other people, but I also don't really want to, like, force it or have to change it in a significant way for people to like it. So it's sort of a weird tension that I feel.
0: Well, let's mention that. So you're teaching a course, and it actually is through Vault & Vine, your... your main employer. Um, and I just pulled it up. It's actually by the time our listeners hear this on the second, it will be the next day on the third of 3rd. September. But yeah. it's called Exploring Flowers with Paper Shapes, an online course. And I love that you are recommending it for older kids, like, you know, like upper elementary school into middle school ages, right? Yeah. And so yeah, I, think, I think they'll respond really well because they don't have any kind of, hopefully they're young enough to just be open to your ideas and not feel, I don't know, limited and like, oh, I can't do this.
1: Right. I think especially I have a friend who has three young children and of all different ages, some within that age range, and she sort of, they actually really latched on to a bunch of the videos that were directed towards kids and made some like really incredible, they're like an inspiration to me. They've made some really beautiful pieces and with flowers and paper. And I know the first time that they tried it, she told me that, you know, since none of them necessarily had lots of experience with flowers, that the element of the paper made it feel more accessible just Mm. because like most kids know what it's like to cut paper. Mm-hmm.
0: Oh, that's a really good point. So there's not this sort of tender, tender worry that worrying that I'm going to or, or yeah. break it or something.
1: Yeah. Like, you know what to do with paper and scissors. Yeah.
0: I think also your pieces, you could you could photograph them and use them for cards or, you know, some kind of printed product. It, it just I can see where it would just bug you because it's not video <laughs> like you really like that yeah that moving component
1: yeah the video is so fun
0: <laughs> wow well I hope you keep it up I really enjoy it I'm I, I guess the message I was hoping that listeners of the podcast would gain is this idea that you can blend you know a conventional career in you know wedding and event floristry which does pay the bills and have you've got constraints with clients and budgets and palettes that maybe aren't your first choice, but you just make it work. Yeah. Um, that's your vocation. And then your personal project can be maybe what fuels you creatively and it can spill over then into your, your other work. Don't you think?
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think that's, you know, what I'm trying to experiment with now and see how it feels, how it goes mm-hmm. for sure. hmm
0: when uh, I went back and looked at your installation from the 2019 Philadelphia Flower and Garden Show, I I really, okay. which I have to just tell listeners, and I said it in the intro, I was mesmerized by this piece. It, it was just so, uh, well, so brave with your color palette. And of course, it was winter then. So maybe that led to it and you used some tropical elements. Um, but uh, there's some thread that connects that beautiful floral installation to these simple m- pared down, minimalistic um, floral sculptures with the paper, don't you think?
1: Yeah, definitely. I think that even though I associate the, my first arrangement with the one that I was telling you about with this, uh, the one with the silk flowers mm-hmm. and paper, mm-hmm. I I definitely think that particular uh, installation for the flower show was like it is very much related like i feel like there the way that my mind the way that i was thinking and imagining things then to get ready for that installation feels like it got me ready to move into this mm-hmm. next thing mm-hmm.
0: um so let's describe that so it was like um a large pedestal and then there was there's sort of two a wall with two sides is that a yeah okay what, like, what did they give you to start with? And what, like, was there a, a a theme or like, how did you end up with this piece?
1: Yeah. So the theme that year was flower power.
0: Oh, that's right. It was like the 1960s theme, right?
1: Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. And in some ways it felt very, it felt more open than even other years, you mm. know, flower power. um I, Oh my gosh it's funny like it feels like a million years ago because I like had a you know I did an installation last year for the show that was like a completely different thing um but it's funny when I think about that wall now because I'm I had like a big circle cut out of the wall that was part of the piece but it's funny to think about it now because it's you know like a circle is, is just one of the shapes that right I it, it a <laughs> became a graphic element
0: yeah um but you had um you you it seems to me you were using actual dried material that you had painted that almost Im- imply that it was paper cut out but it was like a like a windmill palm frond or something like that right
1: yeah i did some fun kind of sculptural manipulation movement with some of the more tropical things and I painted some things in interesting ways. Um, I was definitely, I feel like one of the reasons why maybe you felt the way that you did when you saw it, I was definitely experimenting with a lot of color Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and, um, and also like
0: non-traditional colors that you wouldn't normally see in a floral palette. I think that maybe is what grabbed my eye.
1: Yeah. Um, many different colors. (laughs) It wasn't like (laughs) limited to any particular, I mean, you know, like I, I guess, you know, I was being, still being strategic, but I, it was a lot of color. Um, So on the one side, I worked with a friend of mine who's a painter and she created this really beautiful, you know, kind of abstract painting piece uh, that had so much color in it. And then I really played with that with those colors to create this very sort of sculptural design that sat in front of that painting. So that was like the one side. And then the other side was just sort of one color, one like darker color on the wall. It felt very different visually than the other side. And then on that side, I played with two big pieces of mirroring that I placed underneath. The design right. and then on the wall
0: yeah that was fun yeah it was almost like a dark and light kind of uh yeah play. obviously you're stuck in a big you know convention hall so you don't get to use natural light
1: right
0: well you did earn a gold medal for that congratulations yeah and thanks. um mm-hmm. you know sometimes there's this conversation like what is the point to enter these floral design you know or you know competitions or or showcases um do you have a goal? Like, okay, I want to market myself more or is it just like art for art's sake and when you're doing something like that?
1: Yeah, I guess when I first started doing the show, I wasn't totally sure what to expect and it was a little bit of everything. Like, oh, I do want to market myself. You know, I also want the judges to like it. I want all of the people who pass it to like it, like all these different feelings. But I think, you know, I'm going into my fifth year at the show and which is going to be a very, it's going to look very differently than previous years. Uh-huh. Um, I'm because interested. Of COVID. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I think going into my fifth year, I, I just feel it's, it feels so freeing to sort of be able to just create something from nothing. I mean, we have to go with the theme but there's a lot of room for in my category for inter- interpretation and presentation of mm-hmm, that theme. Mm-hmm. And so I think mostly it's just that I want to create something that I've never seen before and I want people the people who see it and, and interact it to feel like they've never seen it before and maybe they see flowers in just a, a new way. Mm-hmm.
0: The piece that we've just been talking about from 2019, you did call seeing flowers. So Okay, uh, you checked. That maybe is just going to be an ongoing theme for you. Yeah,
1: definitely. Um,
0: This is just like housekeeping, but I'm really curious. So um, that Philly show is like nine days, right? It's like a really long show. So in terms of like choosing your floral elements, everything has to look fresh for nine straight days. So I'm sure that influenced you as well.
1: Yeah, well, uh, I'm trying to think. So in past years, I would use, uh, it's funny, I don't, I'm curious to know how you guys, how like Slow Flowers talks about a topic such as foam. Yeah. Um. But yeah, so in past years, I used floral foam and it sort of made it this, it just made it easier to deal with the fact that it had to be there for nine days because mm-hmm. you can like water the foam mm-hmm. and of course I'm still being strategic about using things that are able to last longer sure, um, with less water but then this my entry for this past year I was I was really proud of because I specifically designed it in a way where it was uh, sort of these like custom built-in canals that held water with and I put all of these like metal pin frogs at the bottom so then all I had to do was make sure and there were these like watertight canals Mm -hmm. so I just had to keep checking in on them and making sure that the water was still good and the level was high enough um wait
0: so the Philly show took place in 2020
1: it did it's really funny now when I think about it because it was it just slid in under yeah uh Every, with COVID stuff. Yeah.
0: Same here. Like I was, I ran the floral stage for this Northwest Flower and Garden Show in Seattle and it ended on March 1st. And I kept thinking, yeah, these guys dodged such a bullet. So Philly was right around that same time, I believe. Right.
1: Yeah. It was like mid, I feel like it was like the second or third week of March wow. for us. where wow. quarantine. So I feel like it was the next week after I broke down <laughs> that I was like, wow, we really that in there
0: well you'll have to share photos of that one too and kudos to you yeah. for finding a way to work around foam because that is definitely yeah. you know the mindset of a lot of people who are working with local and seasonal flowers they don't want to put that into yeah. uh, you know as carcinogenic products so um but this is the complaint like how do you have something that lasts for nine days um right. In you know, even for the gardeners who are designing display display gardens, they've got the same challenge, I'm sure, trying to keep things looking good for nine days. That's that's the longest show I'm aware of. So, yeah, cool. Oh, I want to see those photos. That's amazing. So, you know, already that it's you said that it's going to be different in 2021. What what are you can you share about that? And what what do you I know it's probably not going to be revealed fully, but I'm just curious what you're cooking up.
1: Yeah, I think what has been a fi- like publicly released is that, well, it's going to be at a different time of year. So normally it's the very end of winter, early, early, early spring, right. you know, in March, um, end of February, beginning of March. And so for 2021, I believe I it's either in it's going to be in the summer. Oh, okay. I forget which I forget which month it is. So I'll that's the up. first that's the first thing which is really significant because specifically for local flowers, because, you know, especially for someone like me, who's not working with like in the horticulture category where you can like be forcing different plants or you you have lots of things that are actual plants and not cut flowers. You know, I have to just source everything basically wholesale with the exception of like a couple flower farms who are starting to like, you know, get bulbs ready really early.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, yeah. So this is exciting because like now I'm thinking about how there's like going to be so much local cut flowers that can be incorporated, which Absolutely. is really exciting. Wow. Um, is it going to be,
0: is it going to be outdoors or?
1: And it's going to be outdoors, okay, I wondered which is if, like,
0: if that was sort of the switch for COVID, right?
1: Yeah. It's going to be at a different location, which is, seems like a really big deal
0: it's amazing it's sort of like what i picture when i go to the chelsea flower show in london it's all outdoors there are some indoor spaces that you walk into but i'm sure that yeah. philly will make those adjustments so that it's safe for you know attendees and uh
1: yeah for an is art- the chelsea is the chelsea flower show like as big or bigger of a production than the Philadelphia
0: flower show? It's, I, it's just like, it's sort of like the, the jewel in the crown of flower shows. It's, it's a different, um, it's always been outdoors. So the display gardens are, you know, you know, exposed to the elements, which could be positive or negative. It's held in late May. Um, but there is a big like marquee tent that a lot of displays are also, you know, kind of like what you see at at a, county fair like in you know displays but it's it's an unheated space so most things do well but um I'm just really like that show was canceled for 2020 because it was in it was in May and I believe it's it's like a venerable over a hundred year show so I I think Philly was smart to make this decision to go outdoors And to change the date. And I can't wait to see. I'll try to see what those dates are and share them on our show notes for people who want to try something new. And, you know, going to Philly at the end of winter to see the Philly show, I've gotten stuck. I've gone about four or five times and I've gotten stuck in snow.
1: Yeah. It usually like always snows once. There's usually like one snowstorm during the
0: show. I remember one time, I want to say it was like 2010. And I I was with my friend, Mary Kate Mackey, who's from Oregon. We were both speaking back when they used to have like an author stages. And I was like, look, we're going to rent a car and drive to Terrain. I want to see this place. And we were driving. (laughs) Uh We didn't know where we were. We're driving in this ridiculous weather and we get to Terrain and I'm like, what's there? But like, everything's covered in snow and we, huh. you know, there is an indoor area to shop, but yeah, we we're yeah. determined, but you know what? That's a great adventure, but I'm glad, I'm glad the weather will be more supportive of that yeah. show. Oh, that's exciting. Wow. Well, so what else do you have cooking for your, um, your future plans? You know, obviously we know COVID is not going away. And um, do you think you'll do CSA subscriptions for 2020? Or, or are you kind of ready to stick with your, your own more, more artistic sculptural work?
1: Yeah, I think I feel a little bit sad because there are just, there've been like a handful of previous like Flower Club members who have reached out to me and asked like, did I miss it? Is it, when is it happening? Which is so sweet. Um But I don't think that I'm going to do it for 2020. Um, Yeah, I'll probably, you know, I'll continue working my day job, which I'm slowly starting to transition back into. And I mean, in my studio, I do, I definitely feel so many different directions of possibility. Um, I feel excited about my friend, Sarah, uh, who's, well, she goes as Auntie Beast on okay. Instagram. Auntie uh, Beast. Okay.
0: Well, yeah. We'll, sure, we'll be sure to link to her. This is the puppet. Maker. Yeah.
1: Yeah. She is just an inspiration to me with this puppets that she makes. So I really am hoping to make some more puppet videos with her, uh, that will also probably have flowers and paper <laughs> shapes. Absolutely. And yeah, I feel really curious about exploring, you know, we sort of talked about the clay a little bit. I, I feel curious about sort of experimenting with more different kinds of sculpture and yeah. And I feel also curious about, uh, sort of, I forget if we already talked about this, but, uh, the direction of perennial plants mm-hmm. be incorporated as like, I like to use perennial plant flowers in my work a lot that I just cut from my yard, and I think it would be really cool if there were more sort of planting initiatives or programs uh, maybe in my in my city um, for more space to be used in a way that more people could have access to mm-hmm. flowers in that way
0: mm-hmm. Well, you mentioned that you just walk around your neighborhood and you see all the potential of
1: underutilized
0: spaces, public or or in people's yards, right?
1: Yeah, definitely.
0: Do it. I love it. That's so cool. Um, That could be kind of a fun, almost like campaign that you could get people to support and um, volunteer for and um, draw attention to nature, to how nature feeds us.
1: Definitely, especially in the city where sometimes... A lot of people depending on even where they live in the city because like lots of our neighborhoods in Philly look very differently from one another mm. you know some are more green and have more trees and some barely have any um, I think that especially people in cities if there's ways for us to become more connected and access flowers and plants more that would be great I agree completely.
0: Hey, before I let you go, uh, can you just talk about the technical aspects of filming your, your videos? Cause I think there are people who might be curious about what device you use and what software. Oh, yeah. I, use.
1: I, so I use an app that's called InShot. Okay. And uh, it's really amazing. It's funny though, because I do do it all on my iPhone. And so it's, it's a little bit, it's like small work, you know, <laughs> it's a lot of just your finger making lots of tiny decisions. Um, but it really works for me. And I think it's super uh, user-friendly. And it's so, called yeah. N- InShot.
0: I-N-S-H-O-T. Yeah. Okay. Wow. And so I guess if you had, if you wanted to have a little bit bigger space, you could do it on a uh, an iPad or an iPad mini and still use that. Yeah.
1: Okay. Yeah. That's true.
0: Wow. So you film on your iPhone. And then- yeah, so I,
1: f- I film, like, multiple, you know, all the clips mm-hmm. that I want, and then I put them all into, like, one space in the app, and then it's just, and then the next process is just, like, editing down the all those videos that sometimes are maybe, like, 20 to 30 minutes worth of f- film, and then I edit it down to, like, two or three minutes. right.
0: And, and that gets your final, like your final visual then.
1: Yeah, it's the final like active visual because I, you know, along with the narrator narrating over top of it, I also uh, sometimes add like additional sort of little visuals, like on the app, they're called stickers I think maybe. Yeah like
0: you've I see I've seen you do that like a little arrow or some kind of almost like animated element right?
1: Yeah like you have the option to add some more like animated visual elements and so usually that's like the last thing that I do and then in my most recent um, video with puppets I also played around with making some like custom music to go on top of the video using, using like the GarageBand app, which is really fun. <laughs> so wow. there's lots of directions to go with it. Oh, I
0: love it. That's so great. I, I thank you for talking about the software because I think, you know, obviously, um, it's a pretty low cost way to, to show yes. your work off.
1: Yeah, definitely.
0: Fun! I can't wait to share some of those videos um, with our uh, listeners who can see the Photos and videos and meet Cat at our show notes at DeborahPrincing com for episode four sixty nine and um, also we'll make sure people know how to find and follow you because uh, I know you're gonna you're gonna blow this up and do something else <laughs> pretty soon you'll have yeah. your own like I don't know Nickelodeon show or something I would I'm, love that I'm thinking like Wallace <laughs> Wallace and Gromit level but yeah. yeah. <laughs> Balls. Oh, I love it! Well, thanks so much for telling your 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 process and your story, and and um, really, Cat, uh, I just have to congratulate you. Your what you're doing is is so inventive, and I think we're all yearning for something that we haven't seen before. And your curiosity in in pushing your own art has led to that. That's pretty special.
1: Yeah, thank you so much.
0: Okay, take care, Cat. Okay, Bye-bye. bye bye. Bye. so much for joining me today for my conversation with Kat Clark. I hope you take a moment to respond to the creative sparks or lightning bolts when they hit you like she did. Our next sponsor thanks goes to Rooted Farmers. Rooted Farmers works exclusively with local growers to put the highest quality specialty cut flowers in customers' hands. When you partner with Rooted Farmers, you are investing in your community, and you can expect a commitment to excellence in return. Learn more at rootedfarmers.com. It's the beginning of a new month, and like me, you're probably turning attention to September and beyond. The days here in Seattle are still quite warm, but I can feel the chill of autumn in the morning air. I have mixed feelings about it. I normally love autumn. With COVID limiting our indoor gatherings, we've been so reliant on time outdoors. What comes with the changing of the seasons? Some friends of mine just invested in an infrared heater for their deck to extend their outdoor time as long as they can. I'm seriously ready to order head-to-toe rain gear from REI to make sure I can be quasi-comfortable when I want to continue gardening during our typically wet season. We're all adept by now at online everything, and my top wardrobe has expanded with blouses and shirts while I continue to basically wear the same black yoga pants that you'll never see on a Zoom call. This is an endless season of change. I sincerely hope the Slow Flowers podcast has been a source of companionship and encouragement to you from a distance, as always. This show has been downloaded more than 637,000 times by listeners like you. Thank you for listening, commenting, and sharing. It means so much. As our movement gains more supporters and more passionate participants who believe in the importance of the American cut flower industry, the momentum is contagious. I know you feel it too. I value your support and invite you to show your thanks with a donation to support my ongoing advocacy, education, and outreach activities. You can find the donate button in the column to the right at deborahprinzing.com. Our final sponsor thanks goes to Syndicate Sales, an American manufacturer of vases and accessories for the professional florist. Look for the American flag icon to find Syndicate's USA-made products and join the Syndicate Stars loyalty program at syndicatesales.com. I'm Deborah Prinzing, host and producer of the Slow Flowers Podcast. Next week, you're invited to join me in putting more American grown flowers on the table, one vase at a time. And if you like what you hear, please consider logging onto iTunes and posting a listener review. The content and opinions expressed here are either mine alone or those of my guests alone, independent of any podcast sponsor or other person, company, or organization. The Slow Flowers Podcast is engineered and edited by Andrew Brenlin. Learn more about his work at soundbodymovement.com.